Welcome to the Ion Annapolis Local Business Spotlight. There are thousands of locally owned businesses in the area, some small and some large. Some you may know and others you don't. But one thing they all have in common is a great story, and we want to share it with you. Join us every Saturday as we talk to the founders, the owners, and the managers of local businesses you have come to know and love, and those you will come to know and love. Now here's your host, John Frenet, with this week's Local Business Spotlight. Well, we are sitting here with a somewhat new business, I guess, Scale Up Consulting Group, and we're here with Laura Richards, and thank you very much for speaking with us this morning. How are you? I am doing great, and I'm so excited to um, be talking with you today. Well, absolutely. Well, I mean, I've... I got to ask, I mean, I checked out your website. I mean, and in the most broad sense, you're a business consultant. True. Um, and, but I really want to dig down a little bit deeper and find out, you know, what it is that you get. Cause I mean, every business we know can use some consulting uh, and the ones that don't need consulting, uh, you know, they usually end up in like names like Microsoft and, you know, and everything like that. But what specifically does scale up consulting? And this, the website is scaleupconsultinggroup.com. And that's nothing special or funky about that right. uh, URL. It's a little bit long, but it's okay. It says what it is. <laughs> um, well, so I think what we do is bring a special blend of my experience to our clients. So um, I was a um, corporate marketer for years, and I got out of that after the birth of my kids and became a restaurateur because, sure, that's what everybody with three-year-old twins decides to do. And, and now we're supposed to believe that you, you're you making good choices in business when you <laughs> go into the restaurant business. That's true. So I, at one time, had uh, three franchises. I had the Waldorf, Bowie, and Annapolis um, franchises for a local Maryland franchisor, and I picked them because um, they were a Bethesda-based company, and I just I loved the two personalities behind the original concept. And I used to eat there all the time, and I'm like, they really get it. They're marketing savvy, you know, and their food is great, and it's a great product. I thought, well, I'm going to get in there. I'm going to hire these great managers, right? And then I'm going to do the marketing, and I'm going to turn the business operations over. And so what I learned is that doesn't happen. Like in the restaurant business, you're an operator. So I perfected the whole art of business operations over the 12 years I had those concepts. And fortunately, I sold them six years ago. And I looked at my skill set and I said, well, what's next? What am I going to do? I've got this corporate background. I've got this operator's background. Um, And at that time, I I was working with a business consultant myself, a business advisor. and, And he said, hey, I know I told you not to do anything for a year and just chill out, but why don't you come and and join forces with me. So I did that for the next five years. And then during COVID, that was kind of a turning point where I realized this is my opportunity to do things a little bit differently. And so I actually went and became a certified director of operations. And what that did was give me processes that I could now replicate in other small businesses beyond restaurant businesses. And so that's really what Scale Up does. We help small business owners take a look at the backside of their business. And when I say that, what I mean is people like uh, myself included, we like working on the front side of our business. What's forward facing? What's our new marketing going to be? Sure. What's our brand look like? the happy side of the business. Yeah. Everybody wants to focus on the front side. But where a lot of the change can happen because we're all so busy focusing on the front side is on the back side. It's like the argument of, you know, sales and and manufacturing. It's like 
ain't nothing happens until we make something. And someone's like, well, ain't nothing happens until we sell something. <laughs> you know, it goes back and forth. But you do have to focus on the front and the back. But the back is just as integral as the front in any business. Well, and I think a lot of it is about measuring the results of what you're doing on the front. So if your response is every time sales dip, you come out with a new marketing campaign and that's your solution to it, but you're not looking at the back end of, well, what is our cash flow like and why does it look like this? You know, um, understanding what creates profit. Sometimes the um, program or product that people are focused on is the one that brings them joy, but it's not actually the one that's contributing the most to their bottom line. So it's, I used to own several travel agencies that was, was a franchise part and it was very difficult to look at. And you're, you're exactly right. We turned around and we looked at, uh, what business was profitable and, you know, we could do a two ninety nine Bahama weekend and spend an hour and a half on it. And then by the time we make the meager 10% commission and figure it all out here, I said, okay, this is awesome, man. We paid $75 to send those people to the Bahamas for the weekend. <laughs> yes. uh, as opposed to, you know, would I rather spend three hours or four hours or 10 hours on something that was maybe forty or $50,000 where we would turn around and, and, and realize a four or $5,000 profit on the whole thing. So it's, 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 you're, you're absolutely right. You need to figure out what's works for you and what is making you money because in the end, that's what it's all about. We need to make some money. It's so true. And I think especially now, um, companies are, are operating in a very lean way. And a lot of us as small business owners, we feel like we have to do everything by ourselves, right? We can't, we, in our minds, we can't afford that next hire. But what's happening now is we're seeing a lot of fractional labor in the market. And so you can, um, you know, small businesses can afford to retain people for, um, you know, a virtual assistant at 10 hours a week or an online business manager or um, a fractional director of operations. So that's a lot of the work that we do is providing people that right hand to the CEO, basically, um, to offer them really good insight and advice, but at a level that they can afford it at a number of hours where it makes sense. Interesting. Well, do you work with a particular segment of businesses or types of business? I mean, uh, you've got a restaurant background, okay? So I would imagine that you probably, if a you know a, a small restaurant that's opening up, could could use your advice. Um, do you eschew you know shy away from the new uh, I don't know cell phone store down the you know down the road? Well, I think what I look for more than any kind of particular vertical is business owners that are. Um, ready to commit to changing because change is hard. And if you're not 100% committed and if you won't do things differently, then I'm probably not the right resource for you. Um, Most of the time when I get into a business, it's because there's a pain point. Either um, it's somebody that's looking at transitioning to acquire another space or are they looking at a three to five year exit strategy or are they trying to launch a new product? There's a reason there. There's a pain point there that that they're... um, reaching out. Or maybe it's just critical. Like this is mission critical. We have to become more profitable. We have to grow our, our, on the revenue side or or whatever. It's do or die. Yeah. And, um, typically if you have the mindset that you are willing to, um, live the plan that we create together and take action on it very quickly, we can see business results and start scaling. That's interesting. Do you find, do you find that some business owners, have no business being in business? I don't think I'd put it that way. Not but quite that bluntly. If you, if, you ask, <laughs> if you asked a room full of business owners, are you a growth business or are you a lifestyle business? 
almost everybody in there thinks they're supposed to be a growth business and they're all going to raise their hands. But then when you sit down to talk to them and you say, well, how, you know, how are things going right now? Well, they're going pretty good. Well, you know, are you happy with the amount of money you're taking home? Well, I would like to make more money. Well, are you willing to do X, Y, or Z? Not really. They're a lifestyle business and they're kind of in a place where, where they're not ready to make any big changes. That growth mindset business, they're, they're in a place where they're like, their vision is, is driving them. They know kind of, I want to be out here and I know I don't know how to get here and I'm looking for the right resources to power that. Interesting. Cause I, I mean, I know I've seen a number of business, small businesses in town and not naming names or anything like that, that the owners are so passionate about them. I'm looking at your, you've got a pillow on your chair there. I mean, they, you know, I love white tasseled pillows, you know, whatever that, that is my passion. I live and breathe and you know, that's, that's all about it. But I couldn't sell one to get myself out of a, out of a fire. And, and just the business aspect of running a business is so challenging. I mean, I can sew up those pillows and I can make them so, you know, great. And everybody loves them. They, you know, Aunt Bertha, you know, everybody thinks they're the greatest things in the world, but in the, in the end, selling it for $20 is really costing me money. And I don't realize that, but I mean, I found a number of businesses that follow the passion. So, I mean, I would certainly think that, uh, some real advice and some real talk from Laura could probably help. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, no, I think it is so true that you get in your business and you become sort of myopic to the things that are right in front of you and you're not seeing the bigger picture. For me, I mean, everybody has that place in their business where they feel good, that that's their wheelhouse. And for me, it was standing at the register, talking to every single customer that came in and just feeling, getting the best feeling and thinking I was doing the best thing. However, it was not the thing that was benefiting my bottom line, and it wasn't the thing that was going to get my restaurant sold ultimately. I really had to extract myself from the day-to-day. I had to let the managers do their job. I had to empower people. I had to trust that the money was going to be there for the salaries and stuff so that I could start working on the bigger aspects like renegotiating my leases and getting lower rents and um, really focusing in on food costs and you know, better training saying, Hey, we're, you know, 2% elevated food costs. That's 20 grand a year that we're just throwing, throwing down the tubes. So, you know, there's those analogies in every single business. So that's why, again, focusing on the operation side, the backside of the business, that's less comfortable. It feels for a lot of people, um, almost scary, right? Um, it's, it's what got them into their business is the passion. Like you were talking about with the pillow lady. Um, it's, it's the art, it's the technician. Um, and so when they're in that technical zone or that, um, that, that zone of genius, that's where they're feeling their best. Um, so having somebody else help with the business operations is really useful because that's also where, what makes them money. So if we can have them spending more time in their zone of genius, making more money for the business, but those back um, end things are getting handled, those operations are getting handled, that's the ideal scenario where they're in their joy and the back end of the business is is also being carefully measured, monitored, and strategized. In their own strangely odd sense of joy in the back office because <laughs> there are people yeah. that like that. That's, that, that's exactly you know, I mean, right. You know, that's me. That's me. I, yeah, I'm the operator. No, no, I mean, there are absolutely people that was like, oh, somebody's here. I need to run in the back. You know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to talk to people. And uh, there are, there are definitely two sets of people there, but you mentioned you're a certified operations manager, manager, did I get C- the right? Certified director of operations. Director yes. of operations. 
What I, I mean, and and you did mention that you can help somebody get. You know, we've got you said the fractured employment where you can you know get a. I mean, so there's the ability now if I am running a business and I'm working on my passion and loving register register rings and everything else that I can hire somebody sort of like a, you know, a, a, a pseudo operations manager or an operations director? Absolutely. So yes, it's fractional work. So say you are a um, online coaching business, we'll use an online mo- model for this example. And um, you are, and you have lots of other coaches that work below you or with you, and you have a national or even an in- international coaching program, you can do that and, and, and not have any layers in your business. So it's just like the owner and then everybody reports to the owner. Well, after a while, the owner is no longer able to go out and be the, um, rainmaker. Where's their time to go out and collect business because now they have all these direct reports. So what fractional directors of operations do is they, they can run those teams and insert themselves in there as a layer and make sure that all of those processes and communications and everything are going on and even measure, you know, programmatic results so that that um, leader can continue creating content or um, driving new business or wherever their wheelhouse is. And that's same with brick and mortar. Um, and, the, and, the, and that pretty much eliminates that whole direct report to the, all those direct reports to the owners that go to that fractional. And then that fractional is the one that, that goes in there. And Exactly. And another critical thing to do is have the owner of the business sit down and write down everything they do in the day. And then any of those things. That those are, are really dangerous things to do. <laughs> I, I mean, because you, you don't realize. I, mean, I, I get so many people that will ask me, so what do you do during a day? I'm like, Oh God, you know, I'm like, well, not much. I mean, I do a little email, I do a little bit, of, you know, uh-huh. and, and, but when you, when you do an exercise like that for anything, I had a friend that had a medical condition and they said, I need you to record every bit of alcohol you drank during the week. And he, he advised never to do that. That's a, that's a hor- <laughs> horrible, horrible thing to do, but you don't realize, I mean, I know as a business owner myself, I, I just do, uh, and I, I'm sure I have done probably 20 tasks today. And I have no idea what they are, but I mean, if I sat down there and wrote and said, okay, well, I, you know, I put, you know, it's, it's a whole different ball of wax. Well, if you looked at that list, John, and you said, all right, here are the things, you know, there's probably a third at least of the things that you do in a day that you could very easily outsource to an inbox manager, for sure. example, um, someone that manage your calendar for you, um, automation. Um, you know, all your appointment reminders go out via automation. I'll be seeing you tomorrow at 10 o'clock. They're easily, people could get 30% of their job taken care of if, if they looked at it in that way. And then the question is, how do I strategically use that 30 I've just freed up this time. I'm, I'm, I know that now I have a, a virtual assistant and for five hours a week, they're going to manage my inbox. They're going to manage my calendar appointments and, um, you know, one other thing that you could let go of off of your, your schedule. And now I'm going to refocus that time. So I'm going to say from eight to 11 in the morning, every day, I'm going to spend doing X that directly profits the bottom line. Content, knocking on doors, whatever it may be. Yeah, exactly. That's wild. That's wild. How do you, how do you tell somebody that says I can't afford a virtual assistant? The example that I just gave you pretty much would convince I mean, if, if you are not, if you have the right mindset, like we talked about, if you have a growth mindset and someone says, look at these 10 things, do these, 
are these mission critical to you and do they put you in your zone of genius and help you make money? Um, and you would probably go, nope. And you would say, if I could help you take care of that and it would cost you, I don't know, $100 a week, you know, three hours at $30 or whatever it is, would that be something you would do? And if they said no, then you'd be like, okay, probably I can't help you. Right, like, right, right. Thanks. It was nice to meet but, you. You know, but if they said, <laughs> wow, that's kind of exciting. What would that look like? And, you know, how would that work? And how would we onboard that person? How would we make sure we're a values match? How would I know that, you know, because I think a lot of our hesitation is investing in the wrong people. Well, that's always been the, the hesitation with any business from, you know, day one. You know, I mean, you make the wrong hire. And, uh, you know, I, I, I know I, I'm with my life, my kid and everything else. I mean, a lot of gone through getting their first jobs. And there was somebody that says, oh, my God, this is like my sixth interview. I'm like, OK, well, they don't think you suck. So, <laughs> I mean, they keep bringing you back. But, you know, I'm like, they're going to invest in you. OK, I mean, that tells me that this is a company that is going to turn around and take some time to invest in you moving in. And my son was one of them when he went to Booz Allen. It was like, oh my gosh, it's like, a, like they said, I'm not going to be doing my stuff until probably like eight months. And it's all onboarding and learning. I said, well, that's a good thing because they, they're invested in you. They realize they, they see your value. Uh, hopefully you see their value and they're going, they're going to invest in you and hire the right people to do it, to achieve their back end things. Obviously they're not doing it virtually with a virtual assistant. They're doing it with real people. I am so glad that you brought this subject up. Um, because I think a lot of things that small businesses suffer from come from the way that we hire. Um, I can tell you as a restaurant owner, when I needed a warm body and a warm body walked in and I talked to them and they seemed normal. That was my criteria. You know, they had a job. I, I went through the drive through in Wendy's not too long ago and they have a big sign. And this sort of speaks to the, the status of like the fast food industry. They pay you in cash daily. Wow. And I'm like, is it, has it gotten to the point now? And I, I mean, I, I do understand that there's people that can't wait for, mm-hmm. you know, two weeks or a week or whatever it is for a check. And I, I understand there's some people that probably don't have bank accounts and everything else. But I mean, if we gotten to the point where, you know, one o'clock rolls around, and I say, dude, I'm out of here. Okay, great. Well, here's your, you know, <laughs> you know, you know, your $22. And yeah. Yeah. So not so much on that particular example, because I think Wendy's might be a little bit of a hard sell um, yeah. right now. But um, for small businesses, it's super important that they are articulating their values in their job descriptions, as well as having a very, very good handle on what exact tasks they're going to be wanting those employees to be doing and putting them in the job description very articulately and very clear and very spelled out. And by doing this, and it's very painful to create a job description with that much detail, it takes a lot of time and effort. But by doing that, then when the employee comes in, they have what we call KRAs or key result areas that they can measure the employee in in 30, 60, and 90 days. And what this does is give the employee very clear expectations. They know exactly what they need to do to be a success in 30 days. And by that reinforcement, they are vested. They want to stay. And also, you avoid the whole you know, I know a lot of owners, they, they hire someone and they're like, oh my gosh, I can't be productive because this person is asking me questions every time I turn around. 
that thought out onboarding process um, deflects the questions because you've had them meet with, for example, your key vendors. They know who other key staff members are. They know who go-tos are for accounting, for whatever right, whatever right. their needs are, and, and they know what success looks like. So there is a way, even in this very tight labor market, to appeal specifically to who would appeal to you and then to seal them in so that um, that turnover, that churn that can be so expensive is a lot, it's minimized. Yeah, that's true. Well, I, you know, I, I would much rather have a list of, of tasks and, and expectations that must be a critical thinker. <laughs> it was yeah. like, yeah, I don't like your shirt. Is that critical <laughs> enough? You know, I mean, you, know, you figure out what's, what's going on. What, what are your thoughts? I mean, I know New York, I think New York is doing it now. Um, when they're advertising for positions, they're uh, putting a salary range. Just, out, just out of curiosity, that? but um, yeah, I mean, I think I think that money is important, but I think what we're seeing is that culture is far more important right now than money. Oh. So, um, you know, there's some industries that maybe maybe that's super important for. Um, I think for small business, we know. That in order to be competitive now, it's more expensive than before. Sure. You know, it's somewhere around twenty dollars an hour for for an entry level um, person, which is which is um, more. So I think where small business can really differentiate ourselves is that personal approach and that culture that we were talking about, um, giving people autonomy, trust, making them feel valued, making sure our our values are in alignment. Um, money will always be a factor, but I think. Small business has um, a better opportunity to serve up culture. I agree. I mean, I, there was a, a friend of mine that worked for, uh, I don't even know if they're in business anymore, Living Social. Uh, and they were, I think they were down sort of by National Harbor was their, their headquarters. And, you know, she was doing this commute and somebody offered her a job up here, but it wasn't the money. And they were like, oh, yeah, well, we, we can't afford you. And she's like, you have no idea what the value of being able to bike to work is as opposed to fighting the beltway traffic. And, you know, people assign different things. You know, I can get back with my kids. I can get catch that little late game that I've never seen in my life or whatever it may be with the children. Yes. And and that's more important now than, than ever. I think, you know, even for myself, one of the reasons why I wanted to get out of corporate America, and it took me a long time to be able to do it, but I wanted to take my kids to school every day, and I wanted to pick them up every day. And I knew I was never going to be able to do that commuting to Bethesda. And um, and it took seven years in the businesses for me to be able to do that. Um, but I, by then, I think my kids were in fourth grade. So I got to do it for the rest of their school career, and it was 100% worth it, and I'd do it again. I, you know, I... Very similar to it was, uh, you know, when I bought my first travel agency, I mean, I wanted to be there as much as I possibly could, you know, for the moments. And, um, you know, I like to think that they're probably better off for it. I know I certainly am. And uh, here we are. And uh, they're, they've flown the coop and they're out and the locks have been changed. And Yes. <laughs> and they're That's gone. an amazing feeling, too, having them launched. Well, it's, it's true. It's funny. I, my ex-wife and I are getting to uh, not really an argument, but she's like, oh, my gosh, they're all like, you know, scattered around. And, you know, the Thanksgivings are going to I'm like, but that was like the end goal. Right. You know, that was that was what we were working for. Uh, and, you know, what would, what would we be saying if they're living in the basement? Exactly. <laughs> you know, it'd be a different exactly. thing. Well, how, how do we work with Scale Up Consulting Group? Um, I mean, what's the best? I mean, obviously, we can go and get an idea of what is and contact you on your website. And again, that's scaleupconsultinggroup.com. 
I mean, how does how does a business come to you? I mean, do you come and evaluate a business and say, and and this is a personal business too, because okay, you're going to have to sit there and if you meet with a business owner who's a real jerk, uh, I'm going to guess you're going to dissuade that because life's too short to work with jerks. I mean, that's just sort of a of a policy. Um, but I mean, how do how do people? How does it get started with you? Yeah. So there's a couple different ways. I do have a, a free consultation button on my website. So you can certainly come to Scale Up Consulting Group and request that. And that's like a 30-minute conversation where we just discover what's going on in your business and why you'd be seeking help. And that's a great way. And I also have a seminar coming up on September 21st. It's a Wednesday, and it'll be at the um, Eastport Yacht Club. And it's from 8.30 in the morning till noon. And what it's really going to do is uncover what is operations. You know, it sounds kind of nebulous. Some people think naturally, you know, manufacturing. Sure. They don't understand every business. It's just the backside of your business. What is not forward facing? And we kind of go through all of the key components, what you should be looking at and why it's important. Um, So definitely register for that. And that's in the events tab on the website, the same same email address. Um, And that's a great way to understand, am I the person that wants to control the operations in my business? Do I want an operational partner? Do I want to hire a director of operations? Sounds like it's a a thought-provoking seminar, just that will get somebody to thinking about it. And I I probably would encourage any business that is looking to grow or is perhaps stagnant and wondering why they're not growing, uh, or just, you know, how how do we deal in this whatever this market may be with as we come out of COVID and in, you know, recessions and all the R words and everything else that are floating around to get it. I mean, just to be able to sit there and think differently. I've always been a fan of just a different perspective. I mean, if uh, you know, my father had a, a great saying, he said, you know, if the only tool you invented, it was the only tool you have is a hammer. Everything begins to look like a nail. And uh, you know, you turn around and thinking, you know, I, I'd imagine you come out of the seminar going, Oh, Okay, that makes some sense, and and then follow, and follow up on. Is there a cost for the seminar? Um, it's fifty dollars. Okay, yeah, and definitely will deliver way more value than that. Does I, it include it, the view at, um, at Eastport Yacht Club? Well, the view from the uh, from the conference room, anyway. Okay. Um, no, but what I think it does is is it points to an opportunity, like you said. Um, you know, as a marketer, I always was looking at that part of my business. And it wasn't until I started looking at the other part that I saw so much opportunity and was really able to move the needle. So um, if you are like many business owners, and you do thrive in that forward facing part, and the backside is a little bit of a mystery, um, what an opportunity to learn about it and learn about what you could be focusing on to really move the needle. That's neat. What size businesses do you work with you that work with you or do you prefer to work with, I guess is is a different course. You know, it's really all I've worked with very, very small businesses. Um, uh, but I think really our sweet spot is one to 5 million. Okay. And And I've worked with what, with $50 million businesses too. Um, but I think kind of that place where you're really uncertain about your, your operations tends to be in that one to 5 million. Well, I, 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 you're probably right because I think when you probably get into the 10 or $50 million or something like that, the, the changes in operations are, are very, very small and incremental and probably don't make a huge, I mean, you're not making these whole, these big changes. Uh, and the changes that you do make don't make a, that much of a difference. You take McDonald's, they raise their price or fries by a penny or something like that. And that, you know, that does have a big impact corporate wide, but when you're in that one to $5 million range, you that's, you say, Hey, okay, we're going to do, we're going to make this whole change. 
it typically would have a big impact on the bottom line, which is probably smart on your part because then they're going to say, man, God, that Laura Richards is smart. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. It can definitely have a big impact on the bottom line. And I think too, you know, you don't have a chief operating officer. If you're a larger business, you probably have somebody, I hope, um, who's, who's helping you make those operational decisions already. But if you don't, then you're a business that might want to talk to me. Absolutely. What's one piece of free business advice you can give everybody that some of, 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 of a stagnated business that's sitting here? I mean, aside from come to the seminar, seminar yeah. and, yeah. Uh, and, and we will put links to that in the, in the show notes and everything else. But uh, what, you know, if, if you could throw a lifeline of some sort of advice, I mean, and, and I've always been a proponent of you talk about politics. There's got to be somebody in that's the adult in the room that can go to a politician and say, you know, that's a really stupid idea. And that goes, you know, from the mayor to the president all the way, you know, all the way up. But what is something that you, that you've seen in your experience that you could tell a, you know, a small business like, Hey, look at, you know, and I, and I think it might be hiring, but that's, uh, <laughs> um, there's so many, but I, I would say people often poo poo, the soft side of operations. And what I'm talking about there is like your mission, vision, and your values. Um, And you hear about that a lot and you hear the word strategic planning a lot. And it can sound like it's not, um, you know, down to brass tacks or something. But if your values and your vision are not in alignment with what you're doing every day, you won't achieve your vision. So, I don't think a mission, vision, and values is something that you do once every 10 years or even as a small business once a year. I think you have to constantly monitor, is what I'm doing still working towards this vision? Has my vision changed? Um, am I direct, is the ship pointed to the right place to get to where I want to go? And I think at the very fundamental level, that has a lot of impact um, in whether you arrive where you want to go. That makes an awful lot of sense to me. And, and, and I do agree with you that your, your missions, visions, and whatever else you want to buzzword you want to use for that, as well as, you know, marketing plans, as well as, you know, business plans uh, need to be revisited often. And, uh, you know, you hold up to it. I mean, I knew when I owned my travel agencies, there were so many of my colleagues that would do a business and a marketing plan and out in January and then wonder why they didn't make it in December. I said, well, it's been sitting in the drawer, <laughs> you know. It's where, 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 do, where do, you know, as you said, as, as great analogies, where did the ship point? I mean, you know, we didn't realize it. I mean, you get a big old ship and it's off it goes and you have next thing you know, you're, you're off course. Well, you brought up an awesome point. So I'm going to, I'm going to put this little plug in, into what I do. It's called um, the strategic mapping model, SMM. And the reason why it is so superior um, to just having a strategic plan is it is actually a, um, it's a uh, dashboard. And so instead of getting that strategic plan and putting it up on a shelf, and then a year later, you're like, oh, yeah, we did do one of those. What did that say? Um, it's broken out by the seven strategic business objectives for your business and prioritized in that order. And then it has quarterly, here's what we want to get done each quarter. And it breaks it down by project and even task and person. So going through that strategic mapping process really can give you a four-quarter view of um, how you are directly mapping to your vision for 12 months out. That's amazing. A whole big old bunch of checkboxes. It's, it's a pretty cool thing. And it sure does feel good when you have that completed list and you get to archive it and it just goes away off of your board and 
You know, I, I am different with that. I, I would, I would not do well with that just because I like physical things. I mean, I, I have a pad and I literally draw squares in the margin and write my to-do list. Cause I didn't buy a pad that was a pre-made to-do list because uh-huh. I love, okay. Talked with Laura. Check. So, so hear you on that. And, 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 it, and it just feels good to me. And you know, just the whole click doesn't do it for me. I mean, I, I like the, the motion of the pen and the, or, or crossing it out. That's just a personal. Uh... So John, I have to ask you a question. How often um, do you turn the page to the next day or whatever? And you have to rewrite that to-do list. Oh, I do it like twice a week. So I have a recommendation for you. Um, I'm also an analog girl. As much as I've had to get my digital world skills up, um, I love paper. I still have a paper planner. But if you take that to-do list and instead of just carrying it over day after day, you take each to-do item and you put it in an hourly planner, those to-dos are now actionable because you have them done by time. So you've committed yourself to them. And, And... you don't overestimate how much you can accomplish in a day. Because you've scheduled it out. You've scheduled it all. Interesting. That Interesting. I may, I may look into that. I may look into that. I do love my electronic calendar. I, I live and die by that. But it's just that I've never crossed the line into that to-do list on you know my calendar. Where I'm with you. It's just a strange uh, quirk of being old, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I a function of really downloading everything from your brain like it just feels good when your brain you're writing it all down you're writing it all down you're like okay good I'm, it's no pressure it's out of there it's out of the head it's now on paper now i can control it true true well i want to thank you so much for your time and your insight today i think you had a lot of great ideas i think uh any business uh with the sweet spot of that one to five million but uh, could benefit from your advice, and uh, you know, even if it doesn't turn into advice, but just a trigger to think a little bit differently uh, at your at your seminar that's coming up at Eastport Yacht Club. I think uh, well worth the well worth the time, and it's always worth the time to go down to the Eastport anyway, too, and maybe stop and have breakfast before you go there at the Bread and Butter Kitchen or something like that, and say hi to Monica. But it's. Uh, you know, every business, everybody needs some help sometimes. And I mean, you look at, you know, from personal, you know, if you need counseling, you know, on, on a personal level, uh, that's here. Businesses are no different. And you get somebody that looks at it a little bit differently. You can really start to see the fog will clear and you can see a way, see a way forward. So uh, I do recommend any businesses check out Laura Richards, her website, scaleupconsultinggroup.com. And also the name of the company. And you can sign up for the uh, seminar right on there. There's a, the consultation button and the email and everything else. And I want to thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. This was a fun discussion. Thanks for listening to this week's Local Business Spotlight. Please make sure to visit ionanapolis.net for all your local news, events, and opinion. And in case you haven't already, please subscribe to the Eye on Annapolis Daily News Brief, where we bring you all the day's local news direct to your phone, tablet, or computer in about 10 minutes. It comes to you at 6 a.m. every Monday through Friday, and you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.